And here we go. Welcome to Happy Tears! I'm Brandon. And I'm Nick, and this is Happy Tears, a podcast about pop culture and art where two sensitive boys talk about the art that they love so much that it often brings them to tears. On today's episode, we discuss Todd Phillips' new film, Joker, which is a new and dark take on a classic Batman villain, as well as The King of Comedy, Martin Scorsese's 1982 film, which was a big influence on the Joker. This is Happy Tears. This is Happy Tears. Ah, you beat me to it. (laughs) Ah, well, how you feeling, Nick? Uh, I feel all right. I'm busy. Nick's a busy boy. We both, uh, it's more that I have terrible time management skills. <laughs> well, we were busy all weekend together yeah, we were. at Austin City Limits weekend too. Austin City Limits Music Festival. Uh, highlights for you? Thoughts? Yeah, so it was my first time going in 10 years. And No, it wasn't. Really? Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, I went in 2009 for the first time and then we went this year and it wow. was with the same, uh, my buddy Grant, tall pal Grant, was uh, there with me the last time I went too, so it was pretty wild that's cool but you've been to several music festivals outside of texas right yeah my highlights um i mean i think everyone's highlight was childish gambino for sure definitely for me just incredible performance maybe his last under childish gambino yeah we'll see i don't know if i believe it but (laughs) last of the year for sure yeah for sure got to catch the encore of the cure which was seven songs worth and played some hits, and they still sound amazing, so that was also cool. Yeah, that was great. Brittany Howard was definitely a highlight for me. She just owned their performance. She's a star, and she's got an incredible voice, and I think going to be an important... She is an important voice in music already, but when we look back, I think... We talked about that when we were there, like... Yeah. The idea that she, you know, 20 years from now, we could look back on her like we do... Aretha Franklin now yeah. or she has Etta that James. sort of presence and quality to her live performances. She just seems so comfortable too. It's awesome. Yeah, Tom York was awesome for me. I'm obviously a huge Radiohead fan, so it's cool to see him in a completely different element. And I'm sure for you as well, but we both were able to see Lizzo together from afar. Oh my goodness, that was insane. But the uh just the positivity of the set and stuff, I just I think it's a special moment for her, and it felt that way in the crowd. So She's great. Yeah, for those that didn't read or hear about it or weren't there in Austin, Lizzo played on the one of the like medium-sized stages. Right. Uh, she headlined one of those stages rather than you know maybe being an earlier set on one of the large stages, mm-hmm. and she pulled the most people for any non-headliner ever in ACL history from what I understand and uh, the crowd went back all the way past another one of the stages and they actually uh, fed the the video feed into that other stage so people could watch it which is just it just never happens yeah it's just a never-ending sea of people we were so far away we could kind of barely hear it yeah I mean it was it was that huge of a crowd (laughs) and it was still fun and cool but uh she'll be headlining next year for sure I I can't see a world where they don't offer her 
Yeah, or at least in the next, you know, in the years to come. Yeah. But yeah, Robin played directly after her, and she had a powerful performance too, and it's a cool set that she had, like in the in the background, and um, just some jams, man. She's got some dancey jams. Yeah. You know, one of my favorite things about going to music festivals is coming back with artists that I'm going to check out, or, or I was really into their set, people that I wasn't familiar with before. Right. Denzel Curry was one of my oh, yeah. hip-hop artists. I love that, yeah. Was, um, um, the only thing I'd ever seen by him was he did a, a cover of Rage Against the Machine, Bulls on Parade, mm-hmm. on this uh, YouTube channel. I think Triple J is like the, the, yeah, the Australian station, I believe. I think you're right. And the, yeah, they have this series where they, they do all covers. And so uh, I saw him do that Rage Against Machine. Yeah. And that was awesome. Um, yeah, it's I'll so good. Throw that in the show notes. But uh, I had never really heard any of his original music and or, or known really anything about him, but his set was pretty awesome. The one that I had listened to before and hadn't seen live and was just kind of wondering what they were going to do was a band called The Comet is Coming. And they played in the Tito's Tent, which is kind of like it's the only one that is like the only covered stage. And the sound was so big and loud it's a you know someone on keys and and then a drummer and then a saxophone player but they play like this kind of huge almost apocalyptic sounding kind of stuff and the the saxophone just sounds so big it was cool to see how they they perform those songs yeah the only other thing i feel like i should say is that gambino was just like a religious experience for me yeah you know my brother and i went 30 minutes before the previous act's set, which was Gary Clark Jr. Yeah. To get close, about three to four people behind the barricade. So mm-hmm. we were pretty close. There there was a VIP section in front of the main crowd, so you're not like as close to the stage as you'd want to be, but mm-hmm. um, we endured a pretty taxing physical uh experience just to wait essentially for him to play right once he did play it was absolute insanity you know when gambino hypes up the crowd you get pushed 10 feet one way and then 10 you know it surges back (laughs) and uh it was incredible and and especially if if it is maybe his last show ever or last for a long time I was very grateful because he's one of my heroes to be at this show and be there with my younger brother who we've bonded over over that music. Yeah, so, that's so awesome. Yeah, it was it was pretty insane and I'm still tired. <laughs> Do you have any uh, happy tears during that show? No, not really. And it wouldn't surprise me if I had, but I, I don't know. I was just like into it. Spent a little too much time, I think, trying to get a cool photo on my phone, which was a waste, but uh, <laughs> not that I didn't get a couple. It was a very like feel good, a lot of jams and stuff dancey numbers yeah so yeah and just now thinking about uh festival moments what have you had happy tears at a festival you know what i've got mine oh very small festival Mm -hmm. festival might even be a little bit of an overstatement (laughs) there's a little event that happens at south by southwest every year called the cinder block party company that i used to work for you still work for when my friend Jake and I started that company, uh, putting on a, a an event like that, I think was definitely beyond my wildest dreams. And then the second year that we hosted that party in Austin, we were able to book a guy named David Ramirez, who is 
Jake Ryan Hull, my former business partner, <laughs> when I ran Cinderblock with with you guys, it was his favorite artist of all time. And to be able to put on an awesome event uh, and essentially fulfill a dream of one of my best friends by <laughs> I'm getting emotional right now. <laughs> Fuck. To be a small part in having a friend's dreams come true and helping make that happen was very moving to me. And yeah. Apparently, still is. <laughs> Yeah. So there you go. There's my festival happy tears. Do you have yours? <laughs> oh man. There's two uh Bonnaroos in a row where one was uh Arcade Fire when they played Wake Up and then Gina's kind of favorite artist is Stevie Wonder and I I love him too and he he headlined so there was at a at a separate Bonnaroo and I know several songs that I just vividly remember them being like Happy tears inducing, and a lot of it was just because she was also just super happy seeing him for the first time and all that stuff. So look at us getting happy tears by m- making other people happy. <laughs> We're great, goddamn guys. <laughs> and now two weeks in a row, I have cried on the podcast. So <laughs> yes, but we should uh, ask our listeners: Have you had happy tears at a festival before? And please tell us who it was. And when it happened. Where were you? What was the weather like? Who were you listening to? How big was the crowd? Go on the website, hit the voicemail link, send us a DM or a comment on Instagram or on our brand new Facebook page, which you can like right now, and let us know what happy tears you have had at a music festival. Cool, so recommendations? Go listen to Denzel Curry. <laughs> <laughs> cool. I don't know what song. Yeah. I, if I can find a Denzel Curry song that I like enough, I'll throw it on the playlist. Otherwise, I don't know that I have anything. What you got? There is a guy who goes by the moniker Caribou. Okay. And uh, just released his first track titled Home and his first one in five years. And it's just a nice jam, dude. Some really nice samples on there. Um, feel good track. Like it a lot. Toss it. I'll toss it on the playlist. Throw it down. Throw it up. <laughs> and down. What's up, Happy Tears? I heard your question about those who have had Happy Tears on the plane, and it just so happens that I was recently on the way to Mexico for a bachelor party with eleven guys. Uh, but once we all started boarding, we realized that we were missing one person, the bachelor himself. Needless to say, all of us boarded that early flight without him, and many drinks on the plane led to lots of laughs and happy tears. What a wonderful <laughs> story that is. Yeah. Thank you to Connor for being the lone uh, audio submission. But we did have some Instagram uh, submissions for our uh, question of, Happy tears that you've had on a plane, and they are as follows. At the Blakey D said, Family Business by Kanye during Thanksgiving. Yeah, that can always That song can get me, yeah, on a non-holiday. Sure. <laughs> At Gabriella Joy said, Every time I fly, I don't know if that means she is happy to fly or is terrified of flying. <laughs> At Danny S. Vaught, vote. Sorry, don't know how to say your last name, Danny, but you said Paddington 2 wrecked me in the first 10 minutes, <laughs> but people around me were asleep, so so I guess that's lucky. 
That's great. Dude, those are some awesome movies. I know. Uh, let's see, a couple more. Spill It Sister Podcast said that they had some happy tears when they are headed to Disney uh, for a family trip, and a her brother popped the question. Wow. Uh, my friend Jessica said, watching Lilo and Stitch after leaving Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. And then Tess yeah. submitted About Time. Have you seen that film? About time. Is it with the... It's got Dom Hall Gleason, Rachel McAdams, and mm-hmm. Bill Nighy. Mm-hmm. That movie is beautiful. That'll, that will make me cry every time. It's gorgeous. I've all, I think I've only seen it the one time when it, I saw it in theaters. But it is a, a gorgeous, wonderful movie that I highly, highly recommend. So yeah, some great Thanks. submissions there. Thanks, everyone. Fewer audio submissions, but the quality... It's top-notch. Top-notch quality. That's what we're going for. So, something did happen this last week that was pretty exciting for the both of us. Maybe I'll just talk through the sequence of events <laughs> as they happened. Because I did something without you knowing it. Right. Which was, I went on Reddit and I saw that the co-director of The Peanut Butter Falcon had just posted the trailer for their movie on Reddit like three months ago. And I just commented on it and said something nice about the movie and just said, hey, we we did this podcast about it and we really, really love the movie, so thanks for making a great movie. And the guy listened to it. So yeah. the director of the movie that we talked about and like gushed about and literally cried on <laughs> microphone about uh, listened and even commented on our Instagram and he praised our perspective. And that was a really nice moment. I smiled a lot that day. Yeah, it happened right right in the middle of you having your happy, happy tears. tears from something else. So yeah, for like... the next episode. <laughs> that, that's so cause, Yeah, because you texted me and you were like, dude. I was like, did your happy tears senses tingle? <laughs> I had you didn't just even cried. know what I was talking about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that was crazy. And okay, uh, so, yeah, big thanks to uh, Tyler Nelson for um, sharing last week's episode of the podcast. We were at our most vulnerable. <laughs> we, yeah, yeah. So that's, and it's funny, Tess actually even said to me today that that episode is like the quintessential, that's the, that is the quintessence of happy tears. <laughs> like we both gushed about things we loved. We literally cried on the mic a couple of times and uh, it was just all positivity. Two great things. Yeah. My mother always tells me to smile and put on a happy face. She told me I had a purpose to bring laughter and joy to the world. Is it just me? Or is it getting crazier out there? All right, first up, we have Joker by Todd Phillips. The uh, Google description reads, Forever alone in a crowd, failed comedian Arthur Fleck seeks connection as he walks the streets of Gotham City. Arthur wears two masks, the one he paints for his day job as a clown and the guise he projects in a futile attempt to feel like he's part of the world around him. Isolated, bullied, and disregarded by society, Fleck begins a slow descent into madness as he transforms into the criminal mastermind known as the Joker. 
So let's start with a little bit of background for us, maybe our expectations, maybe our familiarity with the character and right. history with it. I don't know. I had mixed expectations because this won the Golden Lion at the Venice Film Festival. Right. I had expectations of it being great from that uh, because usually praised uh, movies at festivals are things that I enjoy. Uh, but I was hearing some some backlash. Um, you know, we'll talk probably get into the controversy of this movie in a little bit, but mainly I didn't really know what to expect. I knew Joaquin Phoenix was in this. I expected a great performance. The tone of the trailer uh, was intriguing to me. For sure. And I'm not a huge, like, you know, Marvel, DC. I've not kept up with every movie that's been released. And so this isn't something I'm like full-fledged fan, but I was a huge Dark Knight fan. So, and I know you're much more uh, in the Batman realm. Yeah, definitely. So in my early 20s, I started reading comic books and it was because of Batman. I've always been a big Batman fan. Yeah. Really going back to Batman, the animated series uh, that was on the WB when I was growing up. And I still love that series to this day. And the Joker is one of my favorite villains. Mm -hmm. He is very compelling. To me, Mark Hamill will always be the best Joker, even though Heath Ledger did an amazing job. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, Joaquin Phoenix does some really interesting work here. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, so I have, I've read many comics based around the Joker, his different versions of his origin story. Yeah. And so I come into this with a lot of baggage, both in comic book history and just being a big fan of the movies and, and all that. And so I think I was a little more maybe invested is the word mm -hmm. than than maybe you on that level. Right, right. And I guess like if there was one character or uh, superhero that I was most invested with, it would be Batman, just because I have seen a lot of the material. I've played several of the games. Yeah. Um, there's not really any other superhero that I've, I guess, been invested in that sort of way. So I don't know a ton about the DC universe, but Batman's the character I know most about. Sure. And he's, he's the most popular superhero in the world. You right. know, they've made more movies than any other superhero. He's had more commercial success than any other character from the comic book industry right. by a mile. The closest second would be Spider-Man, mm -hmm. which has done three different reboots, whereas Batman's done like five. The other baggage I bring going into this is I don't know how much I care for standalone villain stories. Mm -hmm. I definitely was not interested in the Venom movie yeah. that came out last year. I think Venom's a cool character, but I the reason I think that that character is cool and compelling is because he is the antithesis of Spider-Man. Right. Same thing here. I think Batman and the Joker are two sides of the same coin. And telling the story of Joker without Batman, although they do tie it in and right. they do that in a way. Mm -hmm. You don't know that going into the film. So I'm already coming in with a little bit of my guard up saying, do we really need this? Do we need an origin for the Joker that doesn't directly involve Batman? Yeah. And based on the movie I saw, I'm still not exactly sure how I feel about it. Yeah. Yeah. There's some questions I, I have for you. I think we should save them for when we dive into this a little more. Sure. But I think that is interesting about just how what is compelling to you and if you care about these villains enough to, to get their story apart from the superhero. Right. And I'll maybe I'll go a step further in saying, so Batman is my favorite superhero. Mm -hmm. Spider-Man is my second favorite, which, as I mentioned, are both the two most commercially successful superheroes in yeah. comics. So that probably correlates. But another reason why those two are my favorite is because they have the best rogues gallery of, I think, all superheroes. 
specifically What's Batman. The uh, Rogues Gallery is his uh, list of villains. List of villains, right. exactly. And what's great about Batman specifically, in my opinion, is each one of his villains. And there's a lot to this point right. because he's been a published character for like 80 years now. But most of them are an interesting flip side of him as a character. Mm-hmm. Batman is a vigilante who works outside of the law and the Joker is an agent of chaos. But because Batman is outside the law, there is elements of chaos within what he does. And so there's always a connection to the main guy. Mm-hmm. And I think Joker is one of the most compelling versions of that. Same thing with like Two-Face. Two-Face is literally two sides of the same coin in one person. Mm-hmm. The noble district attorney in Gotham City who turns into this monster and there's a duality to him. There's also a duality to Batman's actions, the right and wrong of working outside the law, things mm-hmm. like that. That's just some of the stuff that I, I'm bringing into the theater when I walk in is trying to disconnect my history with the Joker yeah. and watch this fresh take without bringing the baggage to it. And especially because part of what I think makes him such a compelling character is his direct connection to this main character. So at the beginning of this story, we're introduced to Arthur Fleck, who is a clown for hire. It actually starts off in a pretty gripping way as we see Arthur putting on his clown makeup. And then you get that shot that was in all the trailers of him, like putting his fingers in his mouth and forcing a big smile. And then he brings it down to a big frown, right? Mm -hmm. The kind of comedy and and tragedy masked version of his face. He's staring intently at this mirror, looking at himself, and you just see the tension as he pulls at the sides of his mouth, Mm -hmm. and a single tear comes down his eye, and, you know, it's like black with his eye makeup. Pretty compelling start, shot beautifully, as is this entire film. From the beginning, you get a sense that this is somebody with a lot going on inside, right? Pretty troubled individual. And so from there, uh, we get some more backstory, right? Arthur is seeing a social worker on like a weekly basis. They talk about his medication. We also meet his mother, who he lives with. Who needs her own, you know, attention Yeah, as well. we find out that she is, is not necessarily in perfect mental health also. Right. Early on in the movie, you know, he's out on the street corner doing his his clown for hire work and gets assaulted by like a group of teenagers it kind of happens repeatedly, right? People look down on this person. That's a running theme of either he's invisible or if he is seen, he is targeted. Yeah, it's really tough, really tough to watch because you go through several of those scenarios at the beginning and then throughout the film, it is what happens as to Arthur as a result of him feeling that way and what people have uh, inflicted upon him and, you know, kind of how the, the system has failed him a little bit as well. Right. As we watch, we kind of see this guy devolve into further into the depths of what you might call madness, mm-hmm. and it just gets darker and darker as we go further down the rabbit hole. Also worth mentioning is Arthur's hero is a late night talk show host named Murray Franklin, played by Robert De Niro. Pretty early on, you get actually a, a striking similarity to the other movie that we are going to talk about later, The King of Comedy, in that. Arthur's experiencing these kind of delusions or fantasies throughout the movie, just like in The King of Comedy, Robert De Niro's character Mm -hmm. as the hopeful comedian. So that's a little bit of backstory on who all the players are, who Arthur is, and Mm -hmm. and where we are in Gotham City. Broad thoughts. What was your takeaway? Did you like the film? Let's start there. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure out exactly how I feel about the film because I think it has a lot of 
a lot of really great qualities to it, especially from like in the, the technical realm and some great character work. I can't tell if it's trying hard to say something or if it doesn't want to really say much at all. And so I guess I'm more grappling with the moral side of the story. I mean, it's clearly a tough film to watch as it's supposed to be about someone who is dealing with mental illness and has, you should have some sort of understanding for I don't think it's asking you to empathize with this character, especially through the whole film. Right. I think I do like a lot of it. I've definitely been thinking about it since the moment I saw it. So I think that's, if there's anything, there's there's been a lot of talk around it and it has been on my mind and there are particular scenes that definitely I can play over in my head and, you know, really strong scenes. So yeah, I think I'm there with you in that I don't exactly know what to think. I don't know how I feel. Don't really know what the takeaway is. One other thing that I was looking at going into this film is when am I going to recognize him as that's the Joker, right? Yeah. That's the character I know. Because although it's a different iteration, a new take, I think that there are some fundamental things about this character that should be a part of every iteration of him. What are those? Well, one is that he's obsessed with Batman. And in this world where Batman doesn't exist yet, I don't exactly know where that goes mm-hmm. or what happens to it. So I'm, I guess I'm willing to let that go if they can explain it away, if they can maybe divert his obsession to something else or, or really just what is his motivation, right? right? Like Keith Ledger's version was he's an agent of chaos. Mm-hmm. One that I've always held on to is... That the Joker, although dark and evil and sadistic, can be funny. Mm-hmm. Here we have a character that wants to be funny. Whether or not he actually becomes that or is that in any way is up for debate. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's more, but that's that's yeah. really no, that's good. A couple of things I was looking at going in. I think the tone of the movie is really great. I think the cinematography is beautiful. I think the color is perfect. And I think the acting is superb. Mm-hmm. Regardless of how I feel about the movie overall, which we'll get to, Joaquin Phoenix inhabits this character wholly and completely. Mm-hmm. I never once thought I was watching an actor act. You know, I, I saw Arthur Fleck as a fully realized character, mm-hmm. I think. And his physicality is so great. You know, he feels like a clown from the very beginning, mm-hmm. especially in his run. He does this Red flaily arm thing when he runs. Mm-hmm. It's It just feels perfectly like... Like kind of the Joker. Yeah. And then you just see how early scenes you see with him, like with his shirt off or in his underwear, and he's like pulling open his clown shoes or something, mm-hmm. and his you see how skinny he is and his back muscles are just... Like kind of contorted almost. Yeah, yeah. it's disturbing. Yeah. Um, but the physicality of it was very compelling. Yeah. And I think the story's interesting. The thing I'm still trying to figure out, and maybe hopefully by the end of this podcast I will, is was this story necessary in any right. way like, like yeah we need this this story about the joker yeah i have times when i'm like i think about different parts of it i'm like does this work why or why not i think that's kind of been me just over the last couple of days just been thinking about those questions because in terms of like writing and directing do you think someone in someone else's hands this could have been a more nuanced or careful movie or does it even does it need to be that is it just does an origin story of a villain need to be that kind of movie? I don't know, because it's, it's tough, because at, from one angle, it feels like the movie kind of wants to be that. Be nuanced and it, careful? Like, it feels like it doesn't want to be in the handful of superhero movies. It seems like it sets itself apart from that, and it's uh, it's clear that it is the intention. And 
I would say it succeeds in that. I think it definitely does not at all to me feel like any of the superhero films that I've ever seen. It did feel like an independent film, like a character study. Right. Do you disagree? I don't no, know. no, I think I agree that it succeeds in being different. I guess it's like while being different, is it trying to say something more than those other films are saying or is it just trying to be a movie about a villain? That's kind of what... Got it. And I think that's where the more of the controversy comes in and more of like what is this movie really trying to get at and are those things I don't know if valid's the right word but necessary or is it does that need to be portrayed in this sort of way of taking this kind of like character that some people have come to you know love as a villain or whatever and putting those more really heavy serious things on a character that people already have that relationship with I think is the question we're we have. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about some of the media coverage. We can get back to the plot yeah. or other things about the film. But I think part of the problem with this movie is the crazy media coverage that it's gotten. And I think it's hyped it up a lot. And some people, you you are forced to make a decision as a viewer to buy in or... Yeah, it's a super polarizing film and it seems like you have to you're supposed to take a side whether it's an acceptable film or whatever. Like I don't know, it's cuz not everyone, a lot of the people that have negative things to say about it are not talking about its technical merit or anything of that sort. It's a, like the moral messaging and I guess me coming into this, I I didn't see or I guess coming out of this, it seemed overblown to me cuz I've seen characters like this before, even the movies that you know, it's inspired from. And in terms of violence, there's tons of films that come out every year that are far more violent. And I don't know, I guess people might think that there's some sort of hero worshiping going on in, par- in parts of this. I don't know, but I I definitely didn't take it that way. It's clear to me that this person takes a turn and is not a sympathetic character after that. I feel like with the way the media has covered this, in one camp you have people saying this is a masterpiece. In another, you have people saying this movie's potentially dangerous and a little too violent. And they, uh, yeah, and I feel like that side of the equation equates it to being a garbage film. Right. You said earlier the word polarizing. I feel like the polarizing nature of this movie makes you want to fall into one of those two camps. Mm-hmm. I think I'm right in the middle. I don't think it's masterpiece. I think it may be a good movie. I still don't <laughs> entirely know. Yeah. But I think some of the criticism of it being too violent or possibly inciting violence yeah. is not necessarily how I felt or accurate. Yeah, I don't feel that way. My criticisms are more along like tactile things. Like I think that the different parts of the writing or how the movie pulls from its influences and occasionally feels overstylized like it's more of those types of criticisms and less like broad do you feel like when it comes to to villains do you feel like they have to be like fleshed out or do you appreciate more just counterpart type villains i don't even know i'm not familiar with a ton of them so i don't know how many of them actually have like a story of why they like are the way they are backstory yeah not even i don't i guess the backstory doesn't have to be like a whole you know, series or whatever, but in terms of just like having a reason for being the way they are. Yeah. Um, I will say that I think one of the great aspects of the Joker and what has made me love him as a character for as long as I've, mm-hmm. you know, read and watched things about him is the mystery of him. Right. It's tough to not 
constantly compare it to The Dark Knight because mm-hmm. of Heath Ledger and Christopher Nolan and the great job they did. But what was a great aspect of that was you never really knew where he came from. Right. He told multiple stories. Of course. And it's a mystery. And that's how the comics is in a lot of ways. Every different era of DC Comics, there are constantly new origin stories thrown out for the Joker. But I think that's cool. I think that we don't have to subscribe to one particular history. You know, to answer your question, I think it depends on the character. I think that some villains benefit from having a backstory. I think Mr. Freeze is a great example of a really cool villain that when he was first introduced was this campy, goofy villain. Mm-hmm. And then Batman the Animated Series made an Emmy-winning episode called Heart of Ice that introduced the backstory of his wife being ill and uh, his whole motivation was to save his wife's life and it kind of drove him to this life of crime. And it's really beautiful. It took a campy, goofy villain and made him a compelling character that is now, you know, in the top 10 or you know something of... of Batman's villains. I think some of it depends on uh, like a case by case basis of the story you're trying to tell, right? Yeah. So I think a great example is Spider Man Homecoming. Mm-hmm. I think Michael Keaton's Vulture is a pretty compelling villain, but I don't know that he particularly reflects any specific aspect of Peter Parker or Spider Man. He had a, he had a distinct motivation. Okay. That is something that that I think is 100 percent imperative in a villain they need to have some sort of personality that's not a cardboard cutout and they have to have a distinct i want this because this Mm -hmm. the vulture was i want to make money for my family and spider-man's getting in the way so what does arthur fleck want acceptance love visibility is yeah just some sort of uh being a part of his surrounding in some way yeah that feels connection i think really right but yeah arthur fleck I mean, I think it was definitely a believable character. I think, as you were saying, Joaquin just does a an amazing job, like inhabiting this character. The physicality is is super interesting because of like some of these dance—they're not routines, but just like moments. Interpretive dance. I mean, it's like yeah. an art piece. Yeah. So you get him kind of physically embodying some of his feelings or what he's feeling internally, and I think those are pretty powerful character moments. Yeah. Throughout this film. I believed him as this character, whether I believed that this character would turn into the Joker we know, I'm not sure. But as this character, I believed Joaquin's take on it. And also, we should mention this, uh, that Arthur Fleck has this condition where he has this like uncontrollable laughter that seems to happen in, when he's particularly in vulnerable circumstances. Yeah, he's nervous or vulnerable or or stressed. Yeah, and so and where he can't kind of stop laughing, and that's... One of the reasons that he's been looked at as different from everyone else. Or, right. Or targeted. Or targeted, yeah. It's hard. He can't communicate in these uh, circumstances, so he, people um, misinterpret what he's doing. It's terribly sad to see those miscommunications. You could see and hear the pain he goes through yeah. because of this condition. Yeah, because often as, it, as it's unfolding, it's this kind of haunting sound that's distinctly a laugh but he's like also like kind of crying like he it seems like so la- painful yeah there's like a wheezing element to it like he does this so much he's almost like hoarse from it when he does it i don't know right. it's like a it's a really painful thing to watch you could tell it's painful for the character and like you said you're seeing social workers at the beginning and some of those programs seem to fail him as an so it's another reason to uh 
sympathize with this character right. outside of the, the physical nature of his mental illness on screen. What did you think of the uh, uncontrollable laughter as like a device or as a character trait? I thought it was really well done. I mean, I, interesting for sure. And because Joaquin played it so well, I think it added to this character that we don't really know, you know, why he laughs the way he does. And also him just laughing at the or on the offbeats of jokes when he's watching uh, either comedians or his idol on screen, not really understanding the funny moments um, or what's funny to everyone else. So I think those moments, because of the character's condition made sense to me, but are there particular scenes in the film that you really connected with or thought were masterfully done? Yeah. And well, and I don't know, masterfully done may be strong for how I actually felt, okay. but I think there were some nice moments. Yeah. I guess the first one is it's right after the first time that Arthur... Did we start to see a shift in his character? Yeah, and, and there's a specific incident. Yeah. Afterwards, he runs into this public bathroom. At first, he's frantic. He's terrified. He is beside himself. And then he looks in the mirror, and this is where we get one of those kind of interpretive dance moments. And uh, I do think that that was, again, masterfully done, maybe is maybe is a little strong, but mm-hmm. I, I did think it was a nice sequence of him... So he's like kind of dancing and moving around and it almost looked like a flower blooming. That's what that was the imagery I had in my head from his physicality and then starting to grow into what he will eventually be and into his final form, right? Yeah. And uh, at the end of this dance, he looks at the uh, into the mirror and it's the first real calmness and stillness that the character betrays. Mm -hmm. You get a glimpse of, oh, that's me. He doesn't fully make that transition. Like, it's like he gets a glimpse of himself, but then devolves back into this nervous, frantic Yeah, it seems like it's the first time he's had a sense of control or power over his own circumstances, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, I agree with you on that that scene. It was the first time he ever made a difference in -hmm. anybody's life, for good or bad, (laughs) right? (laughs) Yeah. What about you, Jevony? I think it was, this was more of just a visual thing. And I, I'm trying to remember exactly where it was in sequence of the plot, but it, it's where he's putting on the like a white paint on his face and it's like just the white paint. But it's like the way he's doing it, he even like strokes it on his tongue. Yeah, yeah, that was like, a nice touch. <laughs> yeah. I like that. It, it, yeah, it felt like he was getting into something he saw, or like kind of like you were saying about the forming into this character, blooming. It, it felt different from previous times he had put on face paint the other ones it seemed like he was putting this on as uh some sort of disguise or or he was like tired doing this or it was what he did to make it in the world kind of thing this time i had some i don't know it seemed like i had a sense of purpose i think it was the way that it was shot but also it was a really striking visual it was all white face like there was no yeah um clown type of makeup it was just Right. All white, so Reds it's like or a really, or yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like a really eerie look to it, and ghost-like. Um, yeah, yeah. I think uh, my read on it was, you know, the clown makeup is a mask, and mm-hmm. then Arthur Fleck is his regular face, and that throughout the film, I think, starts to switch. Mm-hmm. So at that point in the film, I think we're getting closer and closer to the clown makeup. That's that's the real guy mm-hmm. because he's morphing into that. So mm-hmm. I think, yeah, your read on that is, I, I agree, it's cool. One element that we haven't talked about this film is the Batman connection. Mm -hmm. In this movie, Bruce Wayne is a child and his parents are alive. And Thomas Wayne, his father, is actually a pretty significant character within the story of this film. It's an interesting 
version of that character. Most versions of Thomas Wayne is he's this great doctor that cares about the people and wants to do the right thing. He's a force for good in the world. In this version of the film, it's a little more murky on on whether this guy's good or bad. He's a little more... He, I think he is a doctor, but he's more of a politician in this. He's like running for mayor. And he represents in this film... The haves. The haves, <laughs> as opposed to the have-nots, exactly. And the upper class of society. The film makes a, in my eyes, somewhat shallow point of addressing income inequality or classism or disparities. Yeah, yeah it's kind of... It's hard because... I think the film is primarily about the character study. So it's hard. I don't know how much it could have gone into other, like the uprising that's happening and all of these other kind of side events that are happening in Gotham and this big tension between the high class and these people that are, I guess it shows the Gotham as a kind of rat infested, trash infested uh, place and I think it does a really good job at making it feel like that yeah so all of the class tension and stuff in this film I don't know if it had a ton to say I don't know if it was really trying to like you were saying you didn't feel like it gave a nu- nuanced view of that it felt like this was just the world that we were thrown into instead of trying to have some big political thing to say about you know the one percent or if you are thinking that it, it was supposed to do that I don't think it does a, it does that in a strong way but I'm not sure well, I guess the question that I'm wrestling with, I said it was shallow. Maybe I, I'm I'm still working through it. Yeah, of course. Because one way to read this film is that income inequality and the classism of society and who we choose to build up and tear down is responsible for creating monsters and, and villains like this. Yeah. And... How much do you connect that to things like mass shootings in the real world and vigilantism and the right. 1% and, and all the real world stuff? Yes. And that's the stuff that I'm just not sure where I land on it. The small bit of that that I, I know how I feel is there is a commentary here on who we choose to glorify and who we choose to mock or persecute or tear down. Yeah, to me, I felt the message was more towards like who we put our energy towards and and how how we personally treat people that are different from us or have social awkwardness mental illness like anyone that we see as as different and then also how societal constructs you know how they affect them and if we end up putting more hurdles in their way than actually pulling them out of whatever sort of condition that they're in physically or mentally that actually in some ways, kind of connects with the Peanut Butter Falcon, which we talked about last week. You know, right. like the idea of putting more hurdles in front of people that have disabilities or mental illness. Or, yeah, yeah, or other factors than you or I. Right. So you think it's now we're just kind of getting into the, the overall message of it. But right. I, I'm fine. Sure. Yeah. I, I felt that I had less to say about our current climate and politics and more to say about our responsibility and how we treat people. Do you think it's more on a one-to-one level, like everyone should just be treating an individual person better? Or My thought was the commentary was on a societal level in that, I don't think it's too spoilery to say, at the end of the movie there's a mob kind of running through the city. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, Todd Phillips is, is equating us with the mob and saying that we are the ones 
that are building up and tearing down the wrong people for the wrong reasons. And I look at things like, as much as I don't want to make this point, I think the president is a great example of him being built up for, I think, the wrong reasons. And now he's in the highest office in the world, you know, and even just the shallow social media world that we live in, I think a lot of the wrong things and characteristics get celebrated. Some of the more shallow, less meaningful aspects of life. My read was that the film is is basically saying, this is what happens when you value the wrong things. You build up the wrong people. And so that was my takeaway. Yeah, it's just so hard. Like this movie doesn't show a bunch of good people <laughs> like trying or people trying to do good or ways in which we could do better. At, so it's like it's hard to see from that angle like what the right approach is because it's kind of just showing a bunch of wrong approaches. It's what it seems like. So that's why I, it's hard for me to equate anyone really in the film to just us as an individual or nation mm-hmm. or a depiction of this character in a world that we can understand because of our relationship with either mental illness or conflict in society in general. I don't know. Yeah. Would you agree that even just the conversation that we're having right now is kind of an example of how it's a little muddy? Yeah, it's just tough to know what to pull out of this film. And maybe we should watch it again. And for like, sure. For, I don't know if that's an exciting thing about the film, that it's encouraging all of these kinds of conversations and not really knowing how to feel about it um, or if it's just in the writing that it's a moral muddiness or yeah. the writing is too murky. I'm not sure. I think I err on the side of it's a little too murky and they could have either stuck the landing better or made a more specific point because I think elements like the classism and the one percentism and the mental health aspect of it. And I think that they're juggling a lot of, I of guess balls I, and I don't know if they needed every one of them. Is yeah. Maybe what I'm saying. Yeah. Like thematically, it's a lot of things to throw in a story without providing a clear vision or at least a clear take. Yeah. There was a sequence that I thought was pretty compelling. And honestly, it was the most joker of the whole thing. It's a point where he's running from the cops and he's got his full clown makeup on. Mm-hmm. He ends up on a train mm-hmm. due to circumstances that I don't know. Maybe it's spoilery to get into. There's a bunch of people that have clown masks mm-hmm. on the train. And that's he uses that element to kind of duck the cops, right? Mm-hmm. It adds an interesting element to that simple chase scene, right? That yeah. He it, can it, kind of wears Waldo into. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of confusion uh, in the scene because of it. And that was one of the most comic booky scenes I think and that was maybe that's why I liked it throughout the film I I think I was waiting to see elements of the Joker that I know and Mm -hmm. I think that was one of them when somehow through you know he lucks into stepping onto a train with a bunch of clowns yeah it's it's like it reminds you of the the reminded me of the opening sequence of like the Dark Knight I don't know I guess just the strategic side of him that one is more happenstance but Well, and that is a huge element to the Joker that maybe I should have said earlier is in the past, Joker has always been one step ahead of Batman at all times until some, you know, miraculously Batman figures it out at the end and Mm -hmm. and wins the day usually. So being a master schemer has always been a part of it. So 
that's an element that I don't know if this movie really brings in. Definitely throughout the beginning, he's not much of a schemer. By the end... It doesn't seem like he has the capacity for that. I will say, on the technical side of the movie, I do. I think, like you're saying, the cinematography is very strong. There are parts where you get like a you know a bunch of shots from from low angles and things that I you've seen done before in other stylized comic book films. I don't know there it, there were parts of the film that felt a little over stylized to me and I think the the influences of Scorsese in the 70s crime films uh Taxi Driver and then The King of Comedy I feel like are a little too apparent. I'd agree. I feel like you could veer from those and still have their influence, but part of me wonders if we just had a different director handling this, if just we wouldn't be as confused about how we feel about this. Maybe. I think that's fair. And to support your point and give a little perspective from my background, I don't even really like Taxi Driver that much, even though it's a beloved cult classic. I it's It's another movie that I don't fully understand. I've watched several times. I'll probably give it another go. In the next six months, because I, I'm the type of person that if everyone loves it, I want to know why. Yeah. And so maybe this type of film isn't for me. And, and that's something that we'll get into when we talk about The King of Comedy, because I do struggle with that movie also. Yeah. It does seem like Scorsese has quite a bit more uh, nuance in his in his execution and in his writing, for sure. I mean, it's like that's obvious it's scorsese but it, it's hard because i do love like i think the score in this is really effective it's really great and it adds to these particular moments in the film it gives you exactly how the either how you're you know supposed to feel or the character is feeling like the music definitely sounds like that and stays true to the tone of the film very well like it should but i think that definitely stood out to me going back one thing about uh joaquin's acting in this he clearly lost a lot of weight for the role. And it was interesting. I heard him talking about how he had more control over his physical body than he had ever had at that weight. And it was just a new sense of self. And it was interesting how he used that in the film, particularly through the kind of like these dancing or like these kind of body contortions. Yeah. And because um, it did seem like it was someone, it was supposed to portray control and it was interesting that his character also in uh, real life felt that sort of body control to be able to do those things that he may not have felt comfortable or been able to have the physical awareness to do uh, without losing that weight so it's just kind of a cool thing I was thinking about about his portrayal of Arthur yeah well we keep talking around these spoilers so maybe we should just get into it so we can actually have <laughs> something to say yeah finish finish the conversation so i think at this point this is the spoiler warning we are going to talk about the ending in the film and and key plot points if you haven't seen the joker and don't want it to get spoiled stop here anyway the joker dies <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> well i think the third act of this film is is particularly strong and at least it's uh effectiveness because i had I, I wasn't breathing much really in the third I don't know it felt like it was um I mean very obviously very tense but the sequences from him actually going on air to on the car scene like I feel like that whole time I was just uh enamored with what was going on I agree the third act is definitely the strongest I think that's when you really start to see the Joker rather than Arthur Fleck right I think the first moment 
you start to see him is in that scene where you were talking about with the white makeup and then two characters visit him as at his apartment and mm-hmm. he kills one of them and it's the first time i think he has any true ill intent which is a key aspect to a villain right i mm-hmm. think for a long time he's just a guy that's getting beaten down on and at some point the light bulb goes off and he wants to hurt someone that scene is particularly captivating a little scary mm-hmm. that's what leads to the chase from the cops where he gets on the train yeah as a clown and all the people in clown masks are there and uh when the crowd turns on the cops there's a moment where he gets off the train and one of the cops is essentially getting the shit beat out of him by this mob and you see him pull up this mask that's on his face to show just the clown makeup underneath right. and he looks down at the cop getting beaten up and he laughs he he takes what i saw was pure joy out of it and that was the first moment i think that i said there's the joker some of this st- stems from him feeling power but a lot of this also stems from him being deceived like his whole life about his upbringing and he has this relationship and he puts a lot of care and energy towards his mother who has seemingly lied to him his whole life and i don't know a lot like some of his motivations before i think it's the just being deceived part that also affects his character another film I th- or another scene that i thought was executed really well was the the comedy club scene where he's it's just so gut-wrenching and hard to watch him try to deliver this stand-up comedy and the crowd not responding but then you start hearing these responses that and you see Zazie's character kind of smiling and watching and all of it seems a little like innocent like too good to be true had to be a, a fantasy of some sort right that part I think I just think it was executed well as it turned into something kind of dreamy that fell in line with some of the other parts that just didn't add up and they were they were part of his delusion so yeah how about um Zazie's character and what she adds to this film and if anything. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate that Zazie Beetz, who's a great actor, mm-hmm. is really just a plot device in this to show that he is delusional, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there are several scenes where he's with her, mm-hmm. and we later find out that they were all made up in his head. Mm-hmm. That was one, I, I will have, I have another criticism about that that I just remembered, but I didn't, I didn't think that it needed to, to flash back towards all of those. Hundred percent agree. Because it's apparent right when he walks in and she doesn't know who he is that going through all those uh, scenes again were just uh, unnecessary and didn't add anything to the the story. Yeah, I just thought a scene that I think was just super effective and grand and just striking. And we know that we know this character already and further, like further down the line. So when he does the smear of blood on, on his face to make the, the smile, uh, it's just like a pretty, has a wild scene, I guess. Yeah. Seemed like ravenous kind of, or like, uh, the Joker that we see in, in Dark Knight, I guess. So the big climax, the big tension moment is this live broadcast another huge similarity to the King of Comedy, right? The Joker gets invited onto the Murray show, Mm -hmm. goes out, and uh, there's this pretty big, tense scene. It takes a lot from King of Comedy, obviously. Also takes a lot from Batman the Animated Series. There's there's an episode where the Joker basically hijacks a late-night television program. Okay. 
It's a wonderful life will not be seen this year. In its place is the following. Joker here. Greetings, Gotham, and Merry Christmas. I hope you're watching Batman. This one's for you. <laughs> what did you think of the way that that whole scene played out? It was super tense or not. I mean, we know that he's not going to kill himself right. like he's shown because we know that this character lives on. Yeah, you know that chaos is about to ensue and he is it's pretty clear that he was going to act on, you know, whatever his intentions were. It's, it's scary because people are, um, a lot of people are involved and it's public space and whatever. So, uh, yeah, and we're familiar with these public acts of violence. So it's a t- like a super tense, super tense sequence. I thought it was pretty well executed and the way they told sure the story. That, yeah. Do you think the final scene of the film is a good way to end this movie? Uh, the final scene meaning when well, he's... And leading up to it, I guess, but the... When he's on top of the car or when he's in no, Arkham Asylum? Arkham Asylum. I did like the final scene of the movie. I think it shows that he is now becoming somewhat of the schemer that I think I'm looking for in the Joker, mm-hmm. and, and he's starting to at least a little bit, outwit the, the people at the asylum, right? Because he's on the run, and you see him go down one hall, and they're chasing right after him, but then he comes back down the other hall. Like, they're they're always one step behind him, and mm-hmm. that's a huge part of the Joker, was he's always one step ahead of Batman, usually until the end of the story, when, you know, somehow, miraculously, Batman figures yeah. it out. And so, in terms of him fully embodying this character becoming this villain that's a huge part that i'm looking for is is this guy that's a little wacky but he's just one step ahead of everybody and and i i liked the way that they portrayed that at the end what about you what do you think i don't really know because i think right when they show him in that really like the really bright white light he just looks a lot older in that scene compared to how he looks in the rest of the film to me Interesting. And so I, I kind of threw me off as like, couldn't tell if it was supposed to be like years down the line or if it was just a weird thing, but he, he had less of the youthful. I mean, that was one question I had going into this, if, like Joaquin Phoenix is too old to play this character. And I didn't really feel that throughout the, the movie um, until that, that particular shot of him. I don't know, it's a little confusing to me. but We're a little all over the place, but I think that in my mind, I think that's because the film doesn't fully get across what I think whatever Todd Phillips was trying to say because I still am completely unsure. And I think that's why you're getting kind of the polarizing effect of criticism. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, did you like the movie? Do you recommend it? What, I mean, what's your what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think I like a lot of the components and I have more uh, positives than than overall negatives. But I, I think if you're asking me if it works completely, I don't think so. I think that's what I've come to the conclusion Right, yeah, of. it's okay if, if um, we're figuring this out as we go. <laughs> right. I don't know if those components all work together um, to give us something that works well, but I I do love a lot of the a lot of the parts. I think it has a lot of strong elements. Even, like, the dancing in here, but, like, when he's kind of going down the stairs after, um, after we've seen him just kind of trudge up this mountain of stairs every day in darkness and him go down a different in a different spirit yeah there's a lot of parts i like i just don't think it works as a whole well gotta ask (laughs) did you have happy tears at any moment i did not 
I had one moment of just barely creeping, just as I've mentioned before, that kind of feeling in the mm-hmm. back of your eyes. It didn't fully form, of course, because it was just creeping. <laughs> There's a scene where Arthur goes to Wayne Manor and actually oh, runs yeah. into young Bruce Wayne and physically puts his hands on him, which was pretty terrifying for mm-hmm. a minute. And when you see young Bruce Wayne, and he's just pretty innocent, just a little kid, right? The horrible fate of that boy, you know? Like, when you stop and really think about Batman and how dark and terrible and kind of broken he is as a person, mm-hmm. how much pain that that boy's going to go through. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was a little emotional at that. I just love Batman, apparently, you know? <laughs> like, none, it had very little to do with actual Joker. Right. I think I recommend that people see this movie. If nothing else, it's interesting. I still don't fully understand it. I still am wrestling with what exactly I think about it, as you can probably tell. But I think it's worth seeing. I agree, yeah. I don't think it's the masterpiece that some people are making it out to be. I think, if anything, it's an okay-ed, pretty good movie. I think overall, yeah. I think I'm in that boat as well. Do we imagine there's going to be more origin stories like this? That's a good question. I, You know, it's tough because... Of all the villains, the one that I would greenlight would be this one. Maybe not this version of this one, but this character. Mm -hmm. If nothing else, the box office of this will probably warrant Mm -hmm. something. I don't know if it's going to be like a Lex Luthor or Doctor Doom if you go the Marvel route. But there are few supervillains as popular and as well-known as the Joker. I've got to imagine they're going to try everything that they can (laughs) money-wise. Yeah. Lex Luthor is is the one that I can, especially if you're trying to tell grounded human stories. Yeah, so many villains are fantastical in yeah. their in their abilities and and backstories that the Joker, most of the Batman rogues gallery you can get away with some of the Superman ones, but beyond that, a lot of it's too comic booky for the grounded realistic versions. Right. Anywho, Joker is currently in theaters. <laughs> So a lot of you have probably seen it already. I think it's worth checking out, albeit I still don't know how I feel about it at the end of the day. I'll ride off in that boat with you. (laughs) Sail into the sunset (laughs) on that boat. Even though it's breaking when there are clouds in the The next topic of discussion today is Martin Scorsese's The King of Comedy, a huge influence on the previous film, Joker. And here's the letterboxed description. Aspiring comic Rupert Pupkin attempts to achieve success in show business by stalking his idol, a late-night talk show host who craves his own privacy, played by Jerry Lewis. So I had never seen this film. This is a first for me. Me too. We paired these together because of the obvious influence upon which this film uh, had on the former. Us both being new to it, what were your uh, thoughts, concerns, expectations, and such going into it? I go to, into any Scorsese film with uh, with high hopes, I guess. I, there hasn't been any that I have seen that I didn't at least... I don't know if I've loved all of them, but I, I think that they are all worth seeing, all the ones that I have seen. A lot of them are very gritty and just pretty realistic, and, and he always pulls amazing performances out of his, his actors, and so... I was expecting that in this. It was a little more, I mean, from the title alone, I expected more comedic moments. I wasn't really sure, like, I didn't know what this movie was about, really. Like, I'd seen the cover of it a lot. Right. Um, just never ended up watching it. But 
So yeah, I guess going into it, I wasn't really sure what to expect, but I expect great things from Scorsese. So Same. I mean, I go into pretty much any Scorsese film expecting kind of greatness, which is probably a gift and a curse for him, right? Yeah. I didn't expect it to be as similar to Taxi Driver as I think it was, to me at least. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a huge fan of Taxi Driver. I just don't fully get it. I've watched it several times. I still, and I'm going to keep trying because I, uh, so many people love that movie mm-hmm. and it speaks to so many people. And it, I, I just, I never fully understand some of the protagonists, if you want to use that word, the main characters in some of the early Scorsese films. Yeah. Well, what I think is interesting about them is from what I can tell, not a, a lot of films did this sort of kind of explore this realm of starring role, like anti-hero, like anti-hero kind of yeah. character. Or that side of, I guess, humanity and what you think is your protagonist. I think it's also hard to take these or to watch these for the first time not being kind of just in their context as well. Totally. But I do think that there's similarities between these two. I I like Taxi Driver more than I liked King of Comedy, although there's a lot of things about King of Comedy that I think are really well done, but also are very relevant in today's culture. So I think it the movie kind of becomes stronger over time in that way that I don't think a lot of films do. So yeah, I think that's a cool part. Well, um, maybe dive a little more into the plot. Yeah. So Rupert pumpkin, pumpkin. I'm, I'm <laughs> just like the lady. You're the guy. <laughs> <laughs> so like the Joker, like Arthur Fleck, Rupert pumpkin lives with his mom is an aspiring comedian and kind of has these delusions of grandeur about how his life is going to play out. He is obsessed with Jerry Lewis's character, uh, who has a show called Jerry. I can't remember his last name. Talk show host. Throughout the film, you see him kind of delusionally. He has one real-life interaction with the actual Jerry character at the beginning of the film. And from then on, he has many fantasies that it's up to us to figure out what's real and what's not although by the end of the movie they become more and more obvious Mm -hmm. or maybe they're pretty obvious to begin with it also like you were saying he's kind of obsessed with this particular character but i think he's also just obsessed with uh celebrity or like the attention that that could bring or some sort of again some sort of recognition or connection with significance yeah in that sense i think his character worked better than i think it's just written better I did then Arthur Fleck or then yes, uh, sorry. then Arthur Fleck. Okay. Yeah, but I think you have less sympathy for this character. I think he I mean he shows less signs of feeling isolated, I guess. So I I guess the symp- where the sympathy lies there is more of like almost like a pitying this person. Unlike Arthur Fleck who I think knows he's an outcast, Rupert Pupkin thinks he's just a totally normal guy. Yeah. Right? Yeah, there's a um, unearned kind of confidence that comes is un- unattractive, and so yeah. he's a less likable character overall. There wasn't really a point where I just really liked this character or felt that sort of you know felt bad for him in a way. Like it, it's a I guess sad situation, right? Um, but the way his character's played out is less empathetic. But well, and that's where I think I struggle with Scorsese, specifically with this and. Taxi Driver, a lot of later Scorsese movies I, I really like, but not having anything to hang on the I connect with this character for this reason or I can sympathize because of this. Mm-hmm. I, I struggle with why I'm watching the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to me, this movie's less about 
that, and I, I do agree that it's hard to connect on that level, but it seems like it's more of broad take on celebrity and obsession and media in general it, than, yeah, for you to have some sort of connection with the, with the character, which I understand how it's harder to get into. So I felt the same way. I had a thought when I was watching this that I think that it could have played out as a short film better or like not even short, but somewhere in the like Black Mirror <laughs> length okay yeah so um, like a 42 minute something or yeah like yeah, where you get that sort of you don't have the same sort of repetition and get just exhausted by his character because i had that sort of sense in the in the film when i was watching it where it was just kind of tough to keep going through this i think if you if that part was shortened maybe the the ending would have more of an impact no i agree it takes a long time for anything to really happen i feel like like the Joker film, the most interesting, I think, sequence or part is the third act when when he actually abducts Jerry's character. Right. Yeah, and the I do think that the surrounding characters are stronger in this too. I think the parts where he's alone, like, <laughs> I think are super interesting. Uh, and I think, I mean, I, I think Robert De Niro does a a great job acting here, but like his um, he kind of has a setup in in his mother's basement of like these uh cutouts of characters and he's he's playing out these you know like delusions like we we're talking about yeah i don't know those parts they seemed so like you shouldn't be watching them all like they're right. private there's part in all of us who have in on this private yeah. plays plays that role really well the- i've on more than one occasion what my oscars acceptance <laughs> speech you proud to admit that <laughs> i've also thought about being on a late night of like how we what we think of um our parents and what what others think of us and um how we should play play out these sinorious laughter in the background ah uh, yeah Do you remember that um yeah the the is the wall does it have a projection on it? It's got like people? a big photograph of people. Or photograph, yeah, maybe, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so like that, he he's I guess Hearing fantasizing that that's his audience, right? Right. right. And um, for whatever reason, that's when it kind of clicked for me that like this film speaks to the type of person that wants fame and notoriety, specifically without really adding any real value to the world. This guy wants to be famous and to be Jerry Lewis without putting in the work and do putting together a real act and without, you know, without adding any value. Mm-hmm. He just wants it handed to him. And it makes me kind of love and hate the age that we live in, the kind of internet age that simultaneously will slap people in the face with the hard truth of if they're not funny or if right. they, they're not doing, if they're not adding really va- real value. But at the same time, it kind of makes Instagram influencers possible you know like we're able to kind of slap down people that maybe aren't talented or don't don't really do anything but we also uplift some people that don't necessarily deserve it it's just a weird we're living in a weird time that i think echoes themes from this film and and just with the internet makes it just adds a wrinkle to it i did think there were several parts that were pretty funny about this whether it was like a the humor from, I guess, just the situational humor there. Like, just being ridiculously persistent to where you know someone, Ugh. like, who just keeps trying when you know they don't have the shot. It's painful. And, yeah, so, like, there's some humor throughout there, too. And then it, just the absurdity of some of the 
the kidnapping and all that stuff is um I think there's quite a bit of comedies throughout this film that's not necessarily coming from what I thought going in where it would come from, I guess. There was a particularly funny moment where Jerry Lewis is walking down the street and some lady's on a payphone. It's just wonderful. I've watched you your entire career. A joy to the world. Please, Lauren, would you just please say something to my nephew Morris on the phone? He's in the hospital. I'm and sorry, I'm late. You should only get cancer. I hope you get cancer. And it was funny, but it also really kind of drives home that point of the way we treat celebrities in that we love them, but this, like, but we'll turn on them on a dime. Yeah, right. I mean, I think that there's a criticism there of of the way not only some people aspire to celebrity, but the way we treat those real humans as disposable. Yeah. Can I highlight another funny moment? Yeah. One of my favorite moments of the whole film because it, I laughed out loud. They've kidnapped Jerry. They've got him at the house, mm-hmm. and they're doing this kind of ransom video. Mm-hmm. And they keep screwing He's up the cue cards. To be the first guest on, you got a blank card. Hold on, Bert. I'm reading from cue cards. Tonight's show. You will never see me go back. Alive again. It's not grammatically correct, but I think you have the idea. The the delivery of both, like all three characters in that scene, are just great. I have a question for you. Yeah. When we finally get to see Rupert's act, Mm -hmm. is he funny? I'm not sure he's totally not funny. Yeah. No, I think it's he's supposed to just be definitely not like funny enough to be just given what he wants. Right. But uh, he doesn't kill. Yeah, right. But as I was listening to the material, some of it was like, well, it's tough because you've got all this baggage of who this guy is. Yeah, you have all this baggage. I I do wonder, and I don't really remember any of the jokes just sitting here, but like, I wonder if you were given that material without all that previous stuff, Mm -hmm. if I would have just been like, oh, yeah, it's all right. He's he's an okay comedian. Yeah, I think probably. It's interesting. It's like, yeah, if you just would have done what the lady said and gone to the comedy <laughs> club, I think it's part of what the movie's saying is some people just want it without without earning it. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on the ending? I actually really liked his quote of, I'd rather be king for a night than a schmuck for a lifetime. Honestly, when I heard that, I was like, all right, man, I, I kind of get it. You know, like, I hated you this whole movie, but you know what? It's kind of like the shoot your shot, bro. <laughs> If your shot is abducting a person and holding an entire audience hostage and it's kind of a crazy, it's, if anything, it's a hook shot or uh, like a behind the back bounce thing. It's not just like a layup or a, or a free throw, but no, it's a wild, it's a wild shot for sure. He's going from half court on that one. Yeah. I thought the ending was really strong and like the, I don't know, the whole like book deal part. Like we see it more than ever today of like who... Once you hit that celebrity status and stuff in those book deals, for instance, even like the the OJ Simpson. If I did it. Yeah. Thing and like. Dear God. Those kinds of like money grab situation is I think what I'm thinking. Yeah. I mean, it does seem like they, they hand out book deals like candy nowadays, but maybe they always did. I don't know. Let me ask you this. Do you take that ending at face value? Yeah. So I, I don't know. I don't. I kind of. I, if I didn't, I'm wondering if it 
changes what I think the movie's about or if I think that that's just a straight, again, like obviously it could be just a straight delusion. That was my read. Right. That's what I thought. I wasn't really sure, I guess. Yeah. I, I guess I can see the other side, the 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 way that we kind of reward infamous people. You yeah. Know, the O.J. Simpson thing is a great example and plenty of people get book deals that I don't think are necessarily people to look up to or, you know, people worth telling their story, but there are money grabs out there. So I could, uh, you know, there's an argument to be made that it was real life. My my immediate thought was like, there's no way no this way is real. Is. Exactly, yeah. Overall, I think it was good. Yeah, I, I liked it. I, there was a lot of moments, a ton of humor that I think was really great. And the overall message, I think, is is still, like I said, relevant. And it was just, I think, kind of dragged for a while, which made sense because of the persistence of the character. But like I was saying if it could have been a shorter version of that segment i think i wouldn't have been as exhausted by the character yeah did you have happy tears i did not i don't think i did either it's not i don't really feel like it's necessarily suited for that but yeah my favorite moment was that that cue card scene yeah i thought that was so funny <laughs> it is very good i do definitely like i would recommend the movie to people it's not my favorite of his for sure but i would definitely I think the messages are strong and and it's executed well. It's just I think it did win me over at the end. I think the mm-hmm. third act is strong enough because the first first half of the movie, at least, it's tough. And it, yeah, it, and it, you again, know that character is to, tough, right? It's supposed to be, but yeah. I'd, Obviously, the two films we talked about today, uh, the King of Comedy, was a huge influence on Joker, and uh, for better or for worse. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Happy Tears. Happy Tears is produced by Nick Melita and Brandon Henry. You can find more information as well as today's show notes at happytearspod.com. You can also find us on Instagram at happytearspodcast. Nick is at melitagram and Brandon is at Mr. Brandon Henry. You can also find us on Facebook now. We have a new Happy Tears page just entitled Happy Tears Podcast. So go like that page. Original theme music by Amich. You can find him at youtube.com slash homage beats check out our spotify playlists titled happy tears mixtape where we feature a lot of songs that we talk about here on the pod we'd love to hear your feedback we would love to hear your feedback uh you can respond to any of our questions or polls at happytearspod.com there will be a link on the home page you can also send us a DM or a comment on Instagram, as well as now comment on our Facebook page. In addition to that, we would always love to hear when you have happy tears. That's kind of why we do this is so we can just talk about the things we love. We'd love to hear from you as well as suggestions of things that you think we should cover on the podcast, things that are coming up that you're excited about, your classic favorites, the things that don't get enough love out there. We want to hear about those and we want to promote those things. So we need your help. Send us some stuff you love. Help. Help us! (laughs) And while you're doing that, you might as well go on iTunes and give us a five-star rating and maybe write a few words about how great we are. And I believe that's all that we have left on this episode of the podcast that is called Happy Tears for Brandon. And I am Nick, and this is where we say... Farewell! Farewell!